You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I'd invite you to open your the Word of God before you, your copy of God's Word, to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 this morning, just three verses, and uh, as you're getting there, I want to just show a picture from last week, thanks to Malachi. You can start to get to know when Malachi's got a drawing, it's, there's good detail there, and, and facial expression, this is I'm thinking, Malachi, this is Paul writing, right? Writing Philippians. Okay, very good. So last week we read through the whole of Philippians. The whole book took us 10, 15 minutes, something like that. But uh, Malachi captured that. Kids, thank you. If you need a sheet of paper to draw on, or adults, if you need to draw something, uh, do that. Turn it in, and hopefully I can, I can show it as we go along. Kids, just if I'm talking to somebody, just come slip it in my hand uh, afterwards. Uh, put your name on it so I can draw it or however I... We do that to make sure everybody's seen and and the rest are in the back there. But thank you, Malachi, for that. Let's look at the Word of God before us. Hopefully you're there to the book of Philippians. We're in verse 9. We've we've looked at verses 1 and 2, 3 and 8, 3 through 8. Now this week, 9 through 11. Here's what God's Word says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray for us again. Father, I just pray today as we're looking at these three verses in particular, Father, that you would, you would use this time for your glory as this ends to the glory and praise of God. May that be how our time in your word is spent. May we observe and study and interpret and what's this mean and think hard and deep in places and try to sort out. And I pray, Lord, you guide my words as I do that, but guide the hearing of your word today that you would guide us to take things away, things that maybe need to move in our lives in terms of our love or in terms of our glory to you, things we need to believe differently about you, to trust you, um, to look to you, and that our love would abound. So I just pray you'd work through this time for the glory of your name, for the sake of your name. And I ask this through Jesus Christ, our interceding high priest. Amen. I want you to think of if uh, the word love, love comes up in this passage as we've read, that your love may abound more and more. One way to illustrate that would be love in terms of a kitchen sink, kitchen faucet. Uh, I didn't take a picture of ours because it wasn't, it was clean, but we... (laughs) We need some repair worker. I was like, I'm going to show you a picture. No, I'm not. I'm just going to describe it to you. So I could have shown you the picture now. Your, your faucets don't look any different, right? There's just stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, on that faucet, it's nice. It's a newer one, but it's got the hot and cold side. Maybe you have the kind, you know, with the whatever. I like just hot, cold. But you got to be really good with it. If you just do the hot, you're just going to just be burned and scalding. But you can't wash dishes with just the cold, so you've got to 
kind of manipulate the knobs to get it just right. And there's a sense today, and again, probably all illustrations break down at some point, so don't take me all the way on this. There's a sense in which love, abounding love, is kind of like hot, cold. How do we do, how do we get a mixture of God's kind of, there's a right way to love, an abounding love, and we're going we're gonna to look at that. Because in our sinful nature, we often get love wrong. I think sometimes we're really hot, and we should be cooled off. Or we're really cold, and we should be hot. And so we're working these knobs back and forth in our love. And we want to ground that here today in God's Word. And I think Paul helps us with that as we think through this abounding love. What's he praying for? Uh, for this. So we're going to dive in at verse 9 here and then just kind of look through the passage. So verse 9 again, Paul says to this, to the church at Philippi, these saints, the overseers, the deacons, he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Don't miss these beginning words, it is my prayer. This should clue us into something about the nature of what we're studying in the rest of anything you hear. Paul is praying here. There's not just a a list of things Paul wants the Philippians to do in their lives. Just do these things, please. He's praying about this. He's interceding for them in prayer. He's praying that through God, that God's work, this would be the case in their lives. So Paul prays. I think that's significant, and we'll see that again. We'll come back to it. It's worth noticing here. Well, he prays for this abounding love more and more. They're to have this abounding love. And this is a love here, and, and we're not getting into the agape. There's agape love or phileo, and, and maybe there's some, I think there's some differences there. Agape here is this kind of love, that your love may abound. This, it, more an idea of a deliberate choice. This is I'm going to, I'm kind of choosing to love. Whether the object is, is worthy or not, I'm, there's a, a sense of determining this love, choosing this love. Uh, it's the same type of love God demonstrates, same agape love he demonstrates in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his agape love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's an agape love to what God does. So Paul's calling us, praying for the Philippians here for abounding love. One commentator says, true love is not something you possess. True love constantly grows and increases. Then he goes on later to say, Paul is not content with the status quo in his life or in the lives of his friends. So Paul wants their love to grow more and more. But here's interesting. If you look at the phrase, you might ask, who? Who are they supposed to love? Just he's praying that your love would abound more and more. Who is, who is Paul calling them to love? Is it a greater love for God here? That your love for God, I mean, fill in the blank of the object for God, or is this greater love for their fellow believer? I think without a clear answer, I'm going to say it's both. Yes. Yes, love. Love your fellow believer in Philippi? Yes. Love God? Yes. Uh, John, 1 John, I think connects those. He says, anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, so I'm doing horizontal brother, says I love God, hates his brother, is a, is a liar and does not love him. 
So the one love, the love of God, is indicative. It, it is influencing the other love. Or if you don't love here, it's a question, do you love God? So I, I think they're, they're combined, that your love for God, for your fellow believer, I think, in the church here, uh, could be outside, but I think in the believers, that that would grow, that it would abound. But then Paul adds these, and, and this is where, we're, again, we're, we're getting a little deeper, these two modifiers to this abounding love, and that's these two words of knowledge, with knowledge, and all discernment. I don't know how often we tend to think of knowledge when we tell somebody, I love you, with knowledge and discernment. It just doesn't kind of flow with us. We're in that season. It's February, right? So, guys, it's coming, the 14th, so it's Good warning, got two weeks to go, so, but the season of love, and when we think of love, I think generally we just default to go, that's feeling, I love, I feel good towards this prayer, I love, sure I love you, because I feel good, this feeling type base, but Paul is praying something here that their love would have knowledge and discernment. Now one commentator, I didn't write down who, uh, calls these the two riverbanks of love. If, if love is a flowing river, he calls knowledge one riverbank, kind of a what keeps the river, it's a bad word, in check or keeps the, the sides of the river. One is a love with knowledge, the other a love with discernment. And it's a helpful way, I think, to think of these, these words that, that help, that Paul's bringing out of what love is. It's a sort of limit, a guide for abounding love. This is not love, again, defined by our current culture. Right? Currently, it seems like, not everywhere, what type of love is there? Whatever, anything goes. If, if you tolerate, you are loving. That sort of idea. One writer says this, Nothing perhaps is more harmful than the easy good nature which is willing to tolerate everything. And this is often mistaken for the Christian frame of mind. Love must fasten itself on the things which are worth loving, and it cannot do so unless it is wisely directed. So I want to just think real briefly on these two riverbanks of love, knowledge, discernment. The word that comes to my mind as we think about knowledge, this love with knowledge, is the word depth. I think with knowledge you get depth. Knowing the object of love gives depth to that love. Right? You could say, those that are married, to love, or to, sorry, to know your wife more is to love her more. To study. In the case of Christ, Paul says this, I don't know if, if you see it really, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 8 in Philippians. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he count loss of all my things, it's rubbish. I want to gain Christ to know him. So, so in the context of Christ, to know Christ more is to love him more. And as we know Christ and grow in him, kind of our theme for to me to live as Christ as we know Christ and then we're going to know and we're going to love deeper one another so in order to abound in love there's a knowledge a deepening to know Christ deeper and that influences how we love one another 
Okay, head to the other riverbank, the other side. That's discernment. To define it here would be, the words are to per, uh, perceiving clearly. To discern is to perceive or see clearly or to understand. I think of the word even wisdom come, comes to my mind. In the, and in the context here, not, not, hmm, do I need to love God or not? It's not that kind of wisdom that would be wise to love God. I think this, the context of loving one another. Because we need wisdom and discernment for how to love. I mean, just picture some different things in the Scriptures. Proverbs 19.11 talks about overlooking an offense. So at one point you could say, it's loving, I'm going to overlook that. This person has offended me, I'm just choosing to over, I'm overlooking the offense and I'm going to move on. I'm forgiving them and I'm moving on. Or, does love speak to your neighbor? Matthew 18, if, your neighbor, if he sinned against you, go to him and speak. So do I overlook? Do I go speak? That's, I think, the idea of this discerning. Lord, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I love? So there's a love with discernment. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you need a go-to place of love, that's, that's it. And I love that chapter. I, yeah, I love that chapter. Um, it's a helpful section. And there it looks, I mean, to love is to be patient and kind. And we should be, but we need discernment. Does that mean toleration like we talked about? Does that tolerate things? And we need God's help in this, a God-given discernment. Because in that same letter where 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind, Paul also talks about purging the evil person among you. And so I think there's, there's a discernment uh, to our love. So the call here is for a thinking love, a discerning love, rather than a tolerating love. But ultimately, that love is grounded in knowing. So two ways to look at that knowing. One, knowing one another. And we're thinking body-wise, knowing one another that we might love each other more. Do you know your fellow believer? I'm just saying right here, right at, at Bethany. Do we know one another deeper to love one another? And then, then in a greater way, secondly, Paul to, would say to know Christ well. And I think the one is not without the other. As we know Christ, as we abound in love for Christ, it can't help but affect how we love one another in the body. And I don't mean knowing Christ in terms of winning a trivia game. You know, how many disciples did he have? And where did he go? And where is he from? That sort. I mean a deep, you know him. You've studied him. You've read of him. Like you know your closest friend. Well, there's a purpose in this. Paul gives it to us. Continue on. I'll just read part of verse 10. He wants their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, so that you may approve what is, what is excellent. So that you may approve what is excellent. And here we have those, those helpful words, so that, kind of a connector. And I see it, it's a purpose connector. Why does Paul want their love to abound with the knowledge, with the discernment, with these riverbanks, so that they can approve what is excellent? And the idea here with approving what's excellent, it's the idea of examining, testing, what's really of value, what's, what's excellent and what's poor. I, I don't think this is testing 
you know, others, I can approve, yes, I should love you, or no, I shouldn't. That's not, we're to love. Think of it, uh, somebody brought this out one time. Um, we're to love. It's not, if they're your enemy, should you love them? Yes, we're to love our enemy. What if they're your neighbor? Yes, love your neighbor. It's both, both of those. They're made in the image of God, so we are to love in that sense. But the purpose is to examine what's most excellent, to look it over. And I think um, one illustration I thought of it, to approve what's excellent is this, this idea of diamonds, these valuable diamonds versus fake diamonds. Maybe you know you've read about this or how to, this idea of approving what's excellent or examining. Uh, one writer, Rain Hirsch, gives some home tests uh, Ladies, I guess, maybe guys, you didn't appreciate me bringing this out, but you can determine whether that diamond is real or fake. You can examine it. There's a couple ways here. One, you can get a jewelry magnifying glass, look for imperfections in it. Number two, apparently you can rub sandpaper on it if you're not worried, and a real diamond won't scratch. You can test that. Of course, be careful. Uh, there's the fog test. Maybe you, you know, you can do this while you're sitting here. You, it should not fog up. It's, I guess, because it won't conduct heat, it doesn't fog up. So you can blow on it. There's the sparkle test, which maybe you just know. If it sparkles, it's a diamond. What kind of sparkle? And then it kind of related to like refractivity, how the light scatters. I'm thinking that's sparkling. So what does the light do uh, through it? How does it refract through that? Of course, lastly, I just got to add this. He says, take it to a gem- gemologist. So, yeah, don't go on your own or figure it out. But we're to, we're to approve, kind of like that, we're to approve what's excellent. What is this, how does this relate to love and, and to wrestle with that? And I don't, I don't know if this all gets at it most clearly, but let me take a shot at two ways. One will lead us to Christ. The other is just to examine our own love. What is my approving, what does my love look like? Do I genuinely love? Real love will not scratch easily. Or you could say real love sparkles. What does my love look like? I want to test it. Is it excellent? Is it a valuable love? Or do I just kind of say I love when I feel like it? But it's not really like diamond type love. But the other, I think, even more important as we approve what is excellent, what is most worthy is that object of our love, ultimately Christ. Again, Paul says, verse, or chapter 3, verse 8, talks about the surpassing worth, okay, value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's a worth and a value to loving Jesus. And you could say, Paul, he found and he tested and he examined And he discovered that which he found most excellent, which was Jesus Christ. Well, verse 10 then concludes with the result of approving what's excellent. What's the result of this testing, examining, excellent, worthy love? It is so being uh, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, the text can get confusing, and I'll say maybe it's just, it's just Paul as he writes kind of on and on. You go, okay, I got love abounding more and more. Yes, riverbanks of knowledge and discernment. 
so that you may approve what is excellent. And so it kind of just keeps building on one another, kind of that goal. And so it gets a little confusing. But there's a result statement here. What's the result? So that and so be the result, you would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Abounding love has a goal. It's that day of completion that we even read about in uh, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This day of Christ, we said we'd talk a little bit more about it. We think about what's this day in Scripture. It's described in a couple different ways, I believe, through Scripture. Uh, it's, it's described as a day unknown which will come like a thief, this day of Christ. Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus says in Matthew 24, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So this this day of Christ, an unknown day, coming like a thief, but it's a day also of judgment, testing. Romans 2.5 speaks of it as a, a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Or later, same chapter 2 of Romans, verse 16, Paul warns of judgment, saying, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. It says also, 2 Timothy 4, speaks of finishing the race. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Day of judgment. It's also a day for those whom Christ has purchased that none will be lost. It says this in John 6. Jesus says, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. It's a day for those whom Christ has purchased. None will be lost. It's a day of completion. We looked at verse 6 there, Philippians. I kind of read it quickly before. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, now we're going, day of completion. Who's doing the work here? Who's com- doing the completing? It's a day of revealing. Listen to this verse. Lastly, day of revealing. 1 Corinthians uh, 1. Paul gives thanks for God's grace in the church at Corinth, and he says this. He says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to hold you fast as we sing? Praise God, it's not you. Verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can read those words, be pure, be blameless, and we should take those to heart. I I'm, I'm, think of the, one of the elder requirements is blamelessness, and we all ought to seek for purity and blamelessness. And yet who ultimately, what is our hope? 
even in all these things, our love, we need to have abounding love. We need to have knowledgeable love, discerning love, approving what's excellent, being pure and blameless. But there is a wonderful working mover behind all these things, and that is what Paul is getting at behind all of this. And that's where verse 11 comes in. Let's lastly look at that, verse 11. Because he says this, So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, then verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory, the praise of God. Paul describes his prayer for the church, this goal of purity and blameless on this day of Christ, that the church having been filled, and and you could even put in there, having been and continuing to be is kind of the, the language there, having been and continuing to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We ask the question, how does this fruit come about? I want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And Paul answers, it comes through Jesus Christ for, and kind of just just to keep going for the glory and praise of God. I'm going to go through some Scripture references here. You can write them down because we're not, we're not going to each one. But just kind of got on a roll thinking you bear fruit because of what? Why do you bear fruit? And here's some answers, some Scriptural answers. I've got five of them. Number one, you bear fruit because you belong to the root of Christ. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, that's Christ, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Your belonging to Christ is in order that you may bear fruit to God. You bear fruit because you belong to the root of Christ. Number two, you bear fruit because you're a new creation in Christ. Those, those familiar passages of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it's great, God's gift of grace, salvation to us. But it goes on in verse 10, saying, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, this new creation, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I know it's, well, they're good works. Do we do it? Yes, we act out these things Are you the cause? Are you behind these? Not according to these. God's prepared them. You should walk in them. You should do this. Should you be pure and blameless and abound in love? On and on. Yes. And God prepared that beforehand. Number three, you bear fruit because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. This one maybe just popped in your mind. Where do we bear fruit? Galatians 5. Paul says, Think about the first fruit of the Spirit here. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one. There's more, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You could probably say here, our feeling type of love had a passion and desire for things opposite of the Lord. Those who belong to Christ that have been regenerated by the Spirit have new passions and new desires 
Therefore, they have new fruits of the Spirit. Number four, you bear fruit because you behold the glory of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As you behold Christ and look to Him, and we studied this in a Sunday school at one point, as you behold Him, you become transformed into that image. You, you can put in the words, you bear fruit. You bear Christ-like fruit. As you behold, maybe fill in some other words, as you get to know Christ, the worth of Christ and knowing Him. Number five, you bear fruit because you abide in Christ. John 15, 4 says, abide in me. Jesus is saying this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We are not on a mission to create fruit and be fruit-bearing apart from Jesus Christ alone. And ultimately, it's God's work in us to make our love abound, to give this knowledge, this discernment, or to help us know what's most worthy in His work to enable us to arrive in the day of Christ pure and blameless. And so Paul can conclude then to the glory and praise of God. Righteous fruit here, as we titled the sermon this week, righteous fruit is not self-grown. It's grown in God's field. He grows it, and He gets the glory. You remember we said those first few words of this passage, verse 9, it is my prayer. This is a prayer. Paul is praying for these things. Why? Why is he praying for love to abound? Because this doesn't happen apart from God's work in us. God must do this in us. But then a question might come up, well, what about, what about our part? And maybe we've answered that somewhat here. Aren't these things we should do? <laughs> right? These are things he's praying that these would show, that I'd show an abounding love, and we kind of mentioned that. And I think we could answer with yes and, and no. And just take heart, this is not the first place or only place where we're going to see this kind of, well, what about... And I don't think we're given the answers. What about, it's just, yes, have abounding love. And yes, God is doing this in you. Uh, In chapter 2, we're going to look at it later on. But Paul there, he's going to say, and I mentioned this already, I think, he's going to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then we go, wait a second, Paul. That's salvation by works. We don't do that. Right? Isn't it grace is a gift? So he says, work out your salvation, but it follows with verse 13, for it is, or for, because, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So are we to abound in love? And again, are we to know Christ deeply? To be wise, to be discerning in our love, to approve what's excellent, to be pure and blameless. Yes, yes. We need to get this, that the fruit you bear of these things is a fruit you did not grow on your own. 
I think, I mean, maybe it's a simple illustration, but can the gardener say, I planted a tomato bush or a cucumber patch? Yes, they put, they planted. Did the gardener grow it? No. God's, in God's wonderful creation, he makes this, he makes the earth to bring forth plants and fruit. And us too, our growth is from God. And so we can pray. Because Paul prays, and we can pray for our own lives. Lord, Lord, if Paul was praying about it, then it's something I can't do on my own. This is a work of you in my life through Christ. So Lord, make my love grow more and more. Make my knowledge. Help me to know my own family better in love, my own church body in love. Help me to be discerning. Do I overlook? Do I confront? And how to do that? All in love. Even that, that instance of Paul saying, purge the evil person among you, it's to be done in love. It's not a, yep, get them out. You can feel free to hate that way. There's a love behind even that type of restoration, that desire for that. And so we can pray. And then we can praise God and what he does. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for these words, the beginning words of this section where Paul is praying. Because it means that there's hope. And it means that this is not something that is kind of new that we just need to work out on our own. This is just kind of our own thing. And if we get it, we'll make it to the end. There's a prayer, Lord, that you and you alone must do something in us for this section to take place, for this to grow in our hearts, for this abounding love. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for those believing in Christ in this room, and I pray for my own heart that our love would abound more and more. It would grow. It would grow as we get to know one another and care for one another. Get to know one another, uh, to know how to pray for one another. And ultimately, Lord, to see the value and worth of knowing Christ alone deeply. Lord, I pray for wisdom in our love and discernment to perceive clearly how we love that riverbank, how we do that. And then, Lord, I pray that in anything, as Carol even mentioned today, we point and we say, none of this is on my own. I have not done this myself. You've done it. It's growth you've caused. It's what you've done. We've prayed and you've answered and you've helped. And your spirit has worked the fruit, his fruit within us. Thank you, Lord. You do not leave us alone by your grace. You come with us. And I pray, Lord, those that do not know this kind of love, this demonstrated love for sinners on the cross would make that sure today, would come and trust you, Jesus for salvation today, if that be the case. Thank you, Lord, for your grace on us. Teach us to love. May we abound in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.